0: Hey guys, welcome to Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark, and today I'm speaking with guitarist and sometimes front man, Ken Walrob. Ken's never one to sit still, as you'll find out. And during the pandemic, he's been forced, like most musicians, to take a hiatus from his two bands, Eternal Black and End of Hope. So, Ken decided to start another project called Swarm of Flies. It's a revolving cast of members and a completely new way of creating music for Ken. He's released a couple of songs through Bandcamp already, and they could not be more different from each other. Each Swarm of Flies track will be released as a single when it's completed, and you can pick up the first two at Bandcamp already. Follow Ken, Eternal Black, and End of Hope on social media. Follow us at Performance ANX on social media too. And if you like the shows we're giving you, consider buying us a cup of coffee. We'll all split it, promise. And there's no commitment So subscribe, rate, review, and help us spread the word. Let's hear all the buzz about Ken Walrob and Swarm of Flies.
1: Uh, Let me see if this works. Hey, this is Ken Walrob from Swarm of Flies, Eternal Black, and End of Hope, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety. I'm gonna apologize in advance for Spectrum Cable here in in (laughs) Brooklyn, uh, which means there'll probably be some cutouts.
2: That's what editing's for, right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but they're they're notorious for uh, spotty internet.
2: So. Oh, man. I've had a couple people from Brooklyn on, and I think I've, they've all apologized for me. <laughs> or to me. So, <laughs> so yeah, I... I i have been listening to a lot of your stuff over the past few days so uh it's, it's a re- lot to have to catch up on yeah, sure, yeah. <laughs> it is it is <laughs> but i do like doom so it it it's really cool for me to to find bands like that to listen to so cool so i'm glad a, you do oh yo, yeah definitely man i've had having a couple guys in that genre on like uh scott reader from caius was on i saw i saw he had buzz on too yeah buzz was awesome and scott and buzz yeah. are great
1: yeah, yeah. So. And I, saw you at Lan- I saw you at Lanigan on. I enjoyed the Lanigan interview. I'm oh, big, good. I'm a big Lanigan fanatic. Oh. So, yeah. that, that was... I, I'm enjoying him being kind of reborn.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's funny because I had I uh, I got more... I got a lot of positive comments, but some of the, the only negative or smart-ass comments I ever got was on that one. And one was... was really? Like, yeah. One, one was like... I don't know where this guy, the host has been. You know, Lanigan has, uh, he's toured everywhere. Everybody should have had a chance to see him. I'm like, you know, I had other things to do. I had had a family to raise. (laughs) The closest he ever came when I lived in Alabama was like three and a half hours away. So, my toddlers don't like to stay in the car for three and a half hours while I'm watching a show. So, sorry. (laughs) Where do you
1: live at now? I live
2: in Winchester, Virginia right now.
1: Oh, Okay. So, is, it, wait, is that western part of the state, or is that
2: eastern? Northwest. So I'm I'm almost exactly 75 miles west of DC. Oh,
1: okay. So you're almost closer to Pittsburgh
2: and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm about. I'm. About, I'd say two to three hours from Pittsburgh, probably.
1: Okay. Yeah. But
2: uh, yeah, I'm I'm real close to DC, relatively speaking. You know, it's it's it takes. Hour and twenty minutes to get there.
1: Oh, so, okay. So you are you are closer to DC. Yeah,
2: yeah. It's real. It's it's really easy. In fact, I used, I started. I was a photographer for years, and uh, once we started having kids, I had to get a real job. So, I uh, <laughs> I, I, I kind of just did photography on my own for a while and over the past beginning of the year i started shooting some shots for um, a local dc live music blog right before covid hit so i got a couple of shows in and yeah. I, was, I was getting my uh, my live concert photography legs back and then
1: rug yeah. got pulled out it took everybody out of the knees you know it did it did yeah.
2: But it helped, it, it helped you be more creative, which I want to get into in a second. But I want to know more about how you got into music in the first place. I mean, was your family musical or, or are you the black sheep being the, the guitarist <laughs> in a doom metal band?
1: No, no nobody, nobody played music in my family at all. And... Until until really, me and my brother, I, I had an older brother. Um, I'm I'm the youngest of four, oh. and nobody, as far as I know, nobody's ever told me about anybody, uncles, cousins, anything. There's no mention of anybody having any musical ability whatsoever.
2: Oh wow! But,
1: but me and my brother were were of that generation where you know uh, uh, my brother was born in the 60s I'm born in the 70s where you know music music became not that music wasn't important before but it, it was it, especially growing up in New Jersey it was that confluence of all this stuff at once I you
2: know I know exactly what you're talking about I I I kind of grew up in New Jersey myself so spent like f- almost 15 years there so okay we're where at in Central Jersey in uh, okay right on the border of Somerset and Hunterdon counties.
1: All right. so so if you're around Central Jersey, you knew rock and roll heaven was was down there yep. and, and like metal you know early 80s really took off, which my oh, brother got really into and got me really into it. Well, at the same time, we were really into stuff like The Police and, and punk rock. And so, yeah. and you also had the bands that had gotten big in the late 70s, like Van Halen and Boston and, and all that shit and Rush. And so yeah. me and my brother were, that was also the other important thing at that time. And it's funny to think about it now because in, in the digital age, Um, You have equivalents to it, but it was ease of tape recording. Oh, yeah. And it's great. I have a a Rory Gallagher live album, which has the inner sleeve is uh, tape trading is killing music. Oh, wow. And, and the, par- <laughs> the parallels to now are hilarious, but, it, you know, it that's was, funny. at that time, like the music industry was like, all these, these freaking kids are, are you know, recording music and handing out. And yeah. my, me and my brother and our friends, it was always like, oh, I got this, I got this man where war album. You should hear this. And they just make a tape, pass it on to you, yep. you know? And, and that was, that was kind of the fuel was, yeah, and mixtapes and sending some back and forth. And also at that time, that's the time of in the metal community, of demo trading overseas and everything else. And so me and my brother were gross rank amateurs compared to the dudes who had Sort of lines to to people either coming you know sending stuff in through New York and so they had connections there or we actually talking to people overseas. Yeah. And so it was the kids who were into like Venom and Trouble and Creator and when the first like destruction stuff came out, mm-hmm. that those were the kids you were like, oh man, they're they're in much deal. like we were Maiden in and Priest and yes. and early Metallica and stuff like that and Halloween because you can find that at. at
2: Rock oh, Island. I loved That's Halloween. Funny.
1: Yeah. yeah, But there was, there were those kids that were in far deeper than we were. And then you realize like, oh, okay, there's, there's, there's subcutaneous layers <laughs> to all of this here, you know? Yeah, and so yeah. Maiden, Priest, Molly Crew, all of that's you know, all that stuff in the early 80s, Wasp, like Wasp's first album was huge, yeah. you know, amongst, you know, Jersey kids and, Yep. And my brother, big Steve Harris fan, um, wanted to be a bass player. He, like, found a guy who made a cheap-ass, like, $100 bass for him. And so my brother started learning how to play bass. And I'm like, I want to play drums, had the paper out. My sister's (laughs) my sister's boyfriend at the time was had a friend who was selling one of those old Rogers Silver Sparkle kits. Yeah, like with with, it actually had the had the the cymbal stand that would fall over if you hit it because it was mounted on the bass drum. If you hit it too hard, (laughs) that thing would tank over. Um, So you had to tie a shoelace to it. Oh, nice! Yeah, yeah. So you you know, until uh, so I got one of those for like fifty bucks. Came with the peter chris rock and Roll Over sticker oh. cut just to show peter chris on the bass drum that somebody had artistically put there and i'm like that's for me i'm a massive kiss fan there like, you yeah, go um and that was really it and we drove our parents nuts learning you know as, as a kid learning drums fucking lars ulrich is is the way to go because it's so easy oh yeah and, and also you have that, that that kid energy of just like it's yeah, play fast so you had it Learning Tommy Lee beats. Oh man! Super, super easy, yeah. Learning AC/DC beats super easy, and then you start graduating to like bands like Overkill, uh, you know, and like Sid Falk and, and Rat Skates and what they were doing, and you graduate <laughs> to. Um, Kirk Arrington from Metal Church.
0: Like oh, that first Metal Church God. album, the
1: drumming on that, and you're like, God damn, that's, that's phenomenal drumming. So that is what I got my sort of musical background on because I wasn't good enough to play Stuart Copeland. Well, I it,
2: still a lot of people still aren't.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. And, and I wasn't i wasn't good enough to play Rush and there, there was like a, there was a hierarchy of the drummers in my hometown where it was like, there were certain kids who could do uh, like John Bonham's solos right and you were like whoa that that kid he can do the bottom thing you're like and then there are the kids who can do the pert solos and you're like nah he's those are kids who went to berkeley you know and and, you know and i was like i was doing the peter chris solo my my level but i I can play thrash metal but i was just like i wasn't that technically proficient good double bass drummer not so great with the other stuff yeah and so that was it and and that stuck with me I, i played in bands after I left New Jersey, I lived in Ohio for a little bit because I went to school there. I played okay. in some bands there. Nothing
0: you know, nothing ever really playing out or going anywhere, but just you know, playing with friends and doing stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: And then when I moved back east and I, I moved to New York City, I realized I couldn't be a drummer anymore. Okay. And so that's really, the, that's sort of the chain. And then that got me to playing guitar. Okay. And, and at that time, that was also the resurgence of... Stoner and Doom, in both the states and in Europe, and so you suddenly had you know the, the obsessed was kind of done by that point, but you had right. Down come out, you had Wino had moved on the Sphere Caravan, um, you had Orange Goblin, you had Cathedral, yeah. you had Electric Wizard, you had Sons of Otis out of Canada, um, you had the Suplex down in New Orleans, and so at a time when metal other than Pantera Metal was kind of dying out. Nobody right. really knew what to do, and then suddenly, in the midst of this, was this really exciting, very energetic sort of return to Black Sabbath mentality that I I was so into it and, and enamored with. That yeah, it was when I was learning to play guitar, Wino became my guy. Wino oh, yeah. became the guy I wanted to play like, and Wino became the guy I went. Jesus, this is amazing you know, that people play like this. Yeah. So that's how I got there, which okay. is a really long-winded answer. I'm sorry.
2: No, no, that's that's the kind of answers I like. I love stories. So yeah. you know, this, this whole is all about. It, yeah. When did you start playing out in bands? You know, out in public and
1: really not until 2015 oh and really that was yeah and that, that's so i'm a i'm a late bloomer when it really comes down to this wow you know, i didn't start playing guitar until i was in my 30s
2: wow
0: and
1: okay. um again i was a drummer but uh, but in a sort of half-assed drummer <laughs> um for for most of my life and, and there's a lot of folks who do that like you, you know there's folks who work jobs and and they play and, and some yeah. are really, really talented and maybe they play in a band once and then they never kind of go back to it and that's the way it works. And so I was probably going that way, but then, uh, I, you know, I just kept playing and playing and really enjoying it and really enjoying it. And the more I, I got into it, the more I kind of kept trying to push it. And at the same time, that was also the, when you could start recording at home.
2: Yeah. Okay.
1: So I started dabbling in that and, and I had some friends that we were working on stuff. And literally these friends were like, you know, uh, one good friend was first in West Virginia and then he moved to California. And so we were sending files back and forth and working on stuff. And I'm like, this is great. But I realized it, it, it wasn't as good as it could be because okay. I didn't have people in a room and you didn't, uh, you, you couldn't just get in a room and kind of work it out. And you yeah. didn't have a live drummer, which for the type of music I was playing was like, yeah, it needs a live drummer to really give it a, a, a soul. And so that was starting in 2014. I started looking for folks, and then in 2015, that's where Eternal Black really came together.
2: Okay, okay. How long? And you guys have put out what four albums at this point?
1: You got a live album in there, so okay. It, okay. Yeah, it, it really, counts. Really, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's two albums, an EP and a live album, but we've worked really hard since that time.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. that much in just six years. I mean, sometimes, it's, you know, I, I've had a bunch of people on the show where, you know, for the first six years was them just playing and actually, right. you know, they're out playing covers and, and just, they're not putting stuff out. So that that's pretty impressive.
1: I think the, that period prior to it where I'm just noodling around with on my computer and learning how to use the software to get a good guitar sound and all that stuff. And because I had spent years just sitting in my living room playing (laughs) or occasionally going to rehearsal space with some friends who were in town and playing And when you're doing that, you're kind of showing off for what you know. You know, like you haven't seen a buddy for a while, so you're kind of showing, like, oh, I figured out this obsessed thing. Check this out, or or, oh, look, I got the, I got all of like Motorheads, you know, uh, limb from limb down. Check this out. You know that that sort of way of showing off was a way of studying. It was a way of of going, okay, how does Lemmy and the guys do this, or how does Wino and the guys do this? You know, how does it kind of work as a song? And then once you start playing around with software you know when something's dog shit because yeah. <laughs> you, you know when something's going on too long. And so you learn how to edit. And when you, when you're doing that, then then all of a sudden, when you actually have a project, when you actually have guys you're in a band with it's it's like, I think that was a good training camp for me to just be able to come in and go, all right, here's a song. Okay. And I think my guys in going turn black at first. Were like you have the whole song. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's, it's this. <laughs> and at first they're like, Oh, Okay, and so we, you know, even before we recorded the first EP, we had enough material for an album. Oh, wow. And the first EP was only supposed to be, hey, let's go just put a couple songs down that we can give to people so we can get shows. Yeah. But the guys who recorded it for us did such a phenomenal job. I was like, you had Bandcamp already, you had, you had all these sort of, along the way, these technological things that happened that I always saw a potential of, well, fuck it, let's put it out as an EP. We'll do it ourselves and we'll... Yeah. easy for us to move quickly. And so my take was like, all right, each time we'd get together I would try to have something new. Okay. And so stuff would would just sort of flow. And then once we had an album, okay, we would kind of stick with that for a while and then Once we had that recorded, I would start on the next one. Like I would just sort of like, all right, I'm, I'm," you know, and in certain cases, even before we finished that album, we would already be, you know, I'd already have stuff coming in for that band.
2: So are you you the principal songwriter for eternal black?
1: Eternal black. Yeah. It's kind of, it's me kind of bringing it in and kind of saying, here's the thing. And then Mm -hmm. the guys, you know, working with me to kind of figure out, okay, how's this all kind of work together? Okay. and then what became fascinating is then, you know, when I found, you know, everybody wanted to play an end of hope, which was really, you know, a, a finding the right guys and knowing the right guys of like, I had this corny idea of what if motorhead and black flag, you know, kind of merged yeah. <laughs> and I'd met Davey Gunner, the vocalist, um, who was, you know, most people know him from Kraut. Okay. Seminal New York City hardcore band. Yeah, yeah. And um, and is a phenomenal guy, and we'd become friends because his band at the time, Boathead, was playing shows like Eternal Black. Oh, cool. And so Davey and I always got along, you know, two East Coast Italian shitheads. We, we just <laughs> naturally got along great. And we were talking one day. He's like, hey, if you ever want to do something, I'd love to do something with you. You know, just two guys, mutual admiration society. Oh, I just man. went, I got this idea. I want to do Black Flag meets Motorhead. He goes, I'm in. Let's do it. Nice. And I knew I knew the drummer and the bass player. I knew Dave and Davis, and knew they would be right because they're they're guys who can kind of step into any situation and, okay. and 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 do well. Davis, yeah. the bass player, plays keyboards too, and he, he rec- he's able to record on his own as well. Oh wow! And Dave, the drummer, like went to Berkeley. Is this just monster drummer? So I'm like, Man. yeah, I think I can throw just about anything at those guys especially at the tempos because like you've heard the music it turned yeah. black slow yeah and it goes hyper fast because it, it's, yeah. it's it's the motorhead speed thing right so right Yeah, so finding them, it it was a completely different dynamic. Where rather than like, "Hey, here's the thing, let's let's figure out where you guys fit in this," the way it works in Eternal Black, it was more, "Here's the thing," and then everybody starts taking the meat cleavers to it, and we whittle it down. So what was a three to four minute song suddenly becomes a two minute song.
2: Okay. Okay. And it
1: becomes way more punk rock just by the, just by the editing process of, right. Hey, no, let's do this three times instead of four. Okay, great. Hey, you know what? I don't think we need that part. Let's pull that thing out. Like, and it's, it's four guys just kind of having at it and going, all right, let's pull this thing out, you know, and, and let's get this thing down. Do we have a, we have a saying it's like stretch the skin, like get all the fat off the bone. Yeah so it's literally the most taught bit of a song there okay so that when you hear one of those songs you don't feel like oh they could have cut this
2: right so so you're doing basically addition by subtraction
1: yeah
2: or in card I'm a card guy in card terms what uh, uh, what the hell the, the dude who started Lotus adding lightness to it yeah so you by you're making it better by taking things away
1: it's a Thelonious Monk thing. It's yeah. what you don't
2: play that that's really important. Yeah. Okay. We can keep it in the music genre if you like. That's fine. We don't have to yeah. go to cars. <laughs> <laughs> so so you now does your rig change at all between the two bands? Because they're they're very different. But you know it's still you playing. And and because uh, I saw you, you uh, throwing out a few riffs. You had your Les Paul. You had a Marshall head. Your orange. Uh, your, your orange. Uh, Cabinet there. Right. Does that change much between the two bands? The setup?
1: The amps stay the same and. The thing I'll use live is it's an old '79 Marshall JMP head that has served me quite well. Okay. And then an actual uh, original Sun cabinet from the which probably when you saw those clips I'm standing in front of it so you don't see okay, it. Okay. Yeah. Um, but then I have when I'm playing in rehearsal I actually have two Marshall heads so also an old like '73 Super Lead and I got that orange cap, but I also got this a Sun cab that my buddy in Pittsburgh found for me and he's like hey some guy's selling this it's 450 bucks do you want it. Ooh. It's like original sun cap. I'm like, absolutely. Yeah. And my buddy was coming out to see me. So he threw it in his van and he drove it out to me. Damn. Those stay the same. The pedal board pretty much stays the same with the exception of, I don't really use a lot of effects in end of hope. Okay. It, it, it's again, it's black flag meets motorhead a little bit of okay. echo here and there, maybe some phaser still a shit ton of wah. Yeah. But, but not as much atmosphere there, more attack. Okay. Um, the, the big change is the guitars. So the um, the Les Paul is a turn of black. Uh, now, friend of Hope, it's an electrical guitar company, one of the aluminum guitars. Oh, um, wow. Okay, yeah. So it's, it's Kevin's version of the Travis Bean um, TV 1000 I think was the model, the original model. And this is the EGC-1000S. Oh, cool. So it's great. It's double cutaway. It, the aluminum necks he makes, they're super thin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they're always like, you can just get your hands around it. You can also, because it's double cutaway, you can get way up on it. So I can do different things with it. It's heavy. It's, it's just, it's like, yeah. In. even though it's, it's chambered, so you can take the back, you can take the back plate off it and it's oh. completely, it's completely chambered out. But because it's aluminum it's still heavy as hell so when i you know most people consider less balls heavy when i put on a less ball now i feel like balls it would
2: because
1: <laughs> because the, the egc is so damn heavy but the egc has uh, i've never heard pickups like that it has way more way more bite it almost the sound even though i'm running fuzz pedals and everything else the sound is kind of more akin to like old ACDC albums
0: Ah
1: from that guitar, which is great. I yeah. love it. And it's perfect for that band. Yeah. Um, whereas the Les Paul I use for A turn of black has so much sustain and it, it sounds so thick. Like yeah. that's always been the guitar for that band. That's oh yeah. Been for that. So the gear, the pedals don't change because I like the fuzz pedals I've got. I love the Y I got it's just the way I play changes the way I attack the string changes, the way I write for both bands change. Yeah. And again, you've heard the difference or anybody that's heard of the difference between the two. Eternal black is more about space in between the notes. Right. End of hope is more about just the sheer attack. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, but you know, it's also, that band is also about the, the, collective of those four dudes and the, the attack of those four, you know, the four of us together in that band.
2: So. Yeah. It's, it, there's a, a, so much energy. I've seen a few live clips too. It's there's a lot of energy in, in those live shows.
1: We hope so. Yeah. And you know, the great thing for me with that band is I only have to do one job.
2: <laughs>
1: I don't have to get up and play guitar. Whereas, you know, in <laughs> Black, I gotta, you know, I gotta sing, I gotta play guitar. I gotta be a front band. You gotta do all that. Not that I don't enjoy it. I love it to death. But every once in a while, it's great to just be able to be just the guitar player.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I can and, imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: so so I was
2: listening to the, the latest uh, Eternal Black album, and I, I got to tell you that I really enjoyed particularly the songs Below and The Ghost. Those two songs are just my favorites. I really, really have been enjoying it. And it came out in what, in June of 2019? Yeah. So you've had a little bit of time. What were you doing before COVID hit? Were you guys working on new music or were you out playing, supporting the album?
1: We were supporting it and we were supposed to be playing festivals back in the spring. Uh, So we were going to play some stuff here in the States and we had shows lined up and I already had two songs written we'd actually played two of them live um, we had a couple others we had started working on so okay. you know again the process has always been like we don't stop working in that band right so even even that we're out supporting an album I'm writing new stuff so when we get into rehearse we'll play through what we know we need to keep up on for the shows but it's also like hey alright here's a new one and let's start working on that and let's start fleshing it out and, and the thing is we've always played new stuff live in that band to kind of find the right feeling for it and to get used to it. And, and our, our drummer Joe is funny. He's always like, I don't really know a song until we play it live. And then, when, and then once we play it live, I've got it cemented in my head and I can do it. And, and it makes, makes perfect sense. sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, and also it's the other thing of, it's a little unfair of me to ask them to know it as well as I do, because I wrote it and I'm bringing the whole damn thing in. Yeah. Whereas like they're being thrown all this stuff at once. They, they got a wrap. They still have to, you know, need time to wrap their heads around it. And usually it's not until we really start playing it live for a couple of times that we start to see, well, how's everybody responding to it? You start to find the dead spots. You start to find like, yeah, this doesn't work here. All that shit. Yeah. So, we were working you know we were proceeding like everybody else like oh well, let's let's keep going and it just kind of stopped because you know we we have an added disadvantage of joe lives out way out on long island
2: oh wow Uh, okay
1: so for him you know a we have a you know we have a decent sized rehearsal room but not decent enough to avoid COVID, right uh you know and there's no you know it's it's a it's in a you know an old industrial building so it's like there's no ventilation in there yeah we we can't you just can't get together you know and that's that's the thing everybody's going through it's not unique to us but it it does it's sort of a complete stop on everything now the one thing that could happen is i've pretty much written the rest of the album <laughs> so i've i've got i've got all the songs that i think we can put on the album done including lyrics including how i think wow. the flow should go how it, it's all like on saturday i'll go down and play through them and then sing along and make sure I, i've got the lyrics down because they're still still rough on some of the lyrics so i'm treating it as if covid's gonna end tomorrow i should be ready
2: oh that's that's fantastic and that's the
1: way that's the way i look at it like i get that from like henry rollins and and black flag and those guys where they're like they used to practice with the air conditioning off in the room to try to simulate what a shitty club would be like (laughs) and all that and and i have that kind of working class mentality of it like if i'm going to be good at this because again for turn of black i gotta sing so i gotta get comfortable with the song enough to sing and not look at the guitar while i'm singing and, and like I
2: don't know how you do it. I,
1: I'm not, a, I don't know how anybody does it. And, and I don't do it well. And I know I have great friends who do it far better than I do. And I'm always in awe of them because, you know, I watch them do it and I'm like, they're not even looking, they're throwing their heads around yeah. they're, they're animated. And I'm like, you know, it takes me a while to get to that. So, it, yeah. And also I, when everything's shut down, everything stops, uh, my mentality was like, "All right, keep working,"
2: and that worked for you because you're at, you're still putting music out. You've got this, a new, I, I guess they want to call it a project, uh, uh, "Swarm of Flies." Right now, I want to know, I want to know a lot about this because I've heard the two tracks, <laughs> and they're extremely different. Yeah, but they're they're both killer. How did? I mean, how did the idea begin and was it your idea from the start?
1: Yeah. And it was the pandemic and, and it, uh, and I always try to be careful about how I explain this. Cause I don't, I don't want to make it seem like I'm bashing on anybody, but when the pandemic happened, the first thing everybody started doing was like, Hey, let's make cover tunes and we'll put up videos of us playing cover tunes together. And some have yeah. been really, really cool. Like some of the stuff, Charlie Benanti is doing is
2: kind of like cool. Alex Skolnick and all. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like some of it, some of it's great, but, my, again, my brain was like, well, why aren't they just making new music? Like if you could do that, if you could record a cover song at that quality, and the, the quality's pretty damn good because yeah. everybody's singing at home, like the the SOD cover, like the guys in SOD getting back together and playing, I'm like, oh, this is phenomenal. And yeah. the one Mike Patton's on, I'm like, that's great. But since I'm like, but why wouldn't you just write a new song with Mike Patton? Like my brain went there. My okay. brain was like, everybody's shut down. There's not going to be any shows till 2021 at the earliest. Right. Both my bands are shut down. So like you know, other than, um, being able to do some pre-production and work on songs, like we can't get together in a room. So other than sending files back and forth, there's not a lot we can do. Yeah. Same time. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm like, I have a lot of guitars. I like playing those different guitars. I have a lot of different ways I play, and depending upon the guitar, I'm going to play a different style and all that. Okay. So, I, you know, it changes what you do. So, I was like, maybe I should reach out, you know, reach out to some folks and see if they want to do something. Okay. And part of it also came from back to what I said earlier it was I'd realized I had recorded at home since before Eternal Black. Right. So, five, five years or so software changed a lot so yeah so. a lot you know? the interface has changed so uh when i started looking at well, what are the inter- you know, i was like you know what i'm going to be at home a lot uh cuz i could, i could work from home but i'm going to have a lot of free time yeah let's let's maybe maybe upgrade the interface and and let's see what the software is like and what and once i started doing that i was like oh man like i can get a plugin that simulates the same Marshall JMP I have down at the space. Right. It's not exactly the same, and I I, I know I know it's an illusion. I know it, it's not quite <laughs> as good, but, but it's pretty good. Right.
2: Like, <laughs> it, like
1: like it's good enough to make you go fuck that. That's great. Sounds pretty good. Yeah yeah like like and it's it's pretty cheap just to get that. So it's like okay uh, <laughs> yeah I'm gonna start tinkering. And as I started tinkering, I'm like I know a lot of people who can record at home. Yeah. And, and I also had people who were already like posting on Facebook or doing other things and kind of saying like, oh, who wants to work on something with me or, or you know, let's put something together. And all yeah. of a sudden I was like, well, why don't I try a song? And, and I reached out to, you know, the, I reached out to uh, my rhythm section from End of Hope. And then uh, Earl from Shadow Witch, who's yeah. uh, one of the best singers you could ever find. Uh, and one of the most phenomenal live performers you could ever see. I mean, that's a Witch is such a great band to see live. Yeah. And we've Eternal Black has played shows with them. We've we've driven down to Baltimore and back with them, and <laughs> and um, we love those guys. And and Earl being a friend, I'm like, do you want to sing on this? He's like, sure. And nice. He sent me back three part harmony. Wow. On, on mine all along. So we, we had we had the bass, you know. I had had the, the guitar riffs and, and, and I sent it to my bass player. My bass player came back with keyboard parts and all this other stuff. Oh my gosh. And, and you, and suddenly you're like, I have a wealth of stuff to pick from. Yeah. And, and again, it taking that Thelonious Monk approach of like, well, maybe not use all of it. Like it's good here, but maybe not here. It's good here. And you start to think about how the layers work together. And then Earl comes back with free park army. And you're like, Oh my God, this <laughs> is, this, this is a wealth of, of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> You're, you're in a a different playground because you're the other thing, you know, you're realizing is like, okay, the guitar is going to be less important here. And so all my other bands are riff based guitar based bands. I'm a riff guy. That's what I do. yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. That's my wheelhouse. But now suddenly I'm a, I'm a more subservient player. Right. I'm okay. more, I'm a more of, a, of a guy who needs to fit in where, you know, the layers of the song and what it needs to be. And my job is more about being an editor and sort of a, a conductor as a friend told uh, me okay. a couple of weeks back. That's and a so, good point. yeah, it, it, you have to think about it differently. And so then I suddenly had the, the idea kept growing and then I'm like, ah, okay. And, and Smorefly is a joke. You know, a I was—I
2: was gonna say—I well, was—I had to f- learn what the uh, find out what the, the what's behind the name. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors.
1: Well, it was the fact that I hit on the idea of early on, I'm like, okay, I want to do I want to do some different stuff, and then what I realized is now is not the time to form a, a band. Right. But a, a rotating cast of characters would be really interesting. Yeah, and definitely. A swarm of a musicians, a swarm of flies. Okay. You know. I was, I was talking to Mike Watt uh, who has a podcast and, and he's like, Oh, I figured it out. And he was like, I, I get it. it was, he's like swarm of dudes. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that, that, that's kind of it. Like, oh, sharp guy. Uh, you know, he, nothing gets past him. Um, <laughs> <No. laughs> but yeah, it was from that first song. I'm like, Oh, this is, this is interesting because now, now it's not about the riff is the thing that everything else sort of locks onto it's more about how how does this all work together, which is what I'm a big Nick Cave fan. I'm a big fan of Swans. Oh, like yeah. Hawkwind. So suddenly I'm now playing in that territory as opposed to the Obsessed or Motorhead and the stuff I normally, am, you know, am digging into. Yeah, yeah. And, and those bands, they the songs are, are really simple they can be heavy and yeah. they can be very emotional and they can, and they can have an attack to them. But the component pieces are usually really simple and layered really smartly. Right. And so the more and more of what I learned, like when I got to the second song, I then reached out to Andy from Clamp Fight and Eric from Thunderbird divine, who are also like really good friends. And I'm like, God, I want you to do something on this. And I realized by that point, I have to be really smart about not sending too much to everybody. So at okay. most, I'll start with just like one layer of guitars, maybe a keyboard. In the case of the jaunt, I had the backwards drum beat. Okay. Um, because what's the the Mark Lanigan Duke Garwood album with Animals uh, Save Me? Oh yeah, yeah. That song, there's a backwards like drum beat or like or at least like a backwards cymbal on it that runs throughout. And I'm like, that's right. kind of cool. I wanna I wanna tinker with that. And so I had the beat, I had a mood part, and I had the guitar rip, and I sent that to Andy and Eric, and also to my bass player, uh, Davis, and Eric came back with like six different things. He came back with like a surf guitar part, he came back with two layers of drones, he came back with a harmonica part, Um, he came back with uh, a couple other things in there. Andy immediately said, I want to do a spoken word part. Is that okay?" And we're like, yeah, that
2: that whole song is so creepy. I love it. I love it. That that harmonica is so sinister.
3: For crops, for houses. Nomads have raised monoliths in their honor. And now, 12,000 years later, we were listening to the first men to die among them.
1: Harmonica was the last thing added to really like, yeah when so the other cool thing about the process that I've kind of got running now is again send a simple layer to everybody let everybody separately nobody's heard what the other people are gonna do okay everybody's heard that that same starting point so like Davis came back with his bass part but also two sets of keyboards at the same time Andy came back with his six part his six parts and everything and then what I'll do is I'll kind of bring it all together, edit out where, all right, I'm going to subtract this here and leave this, and you know, kind of make it all fit. Right. It's like a big jigsaw puzzle and then send it to everybody. And then everybody can kind of go, I dig that. You mind if I add this or, Hey, what if it, this, in, in the case of the jaunt, I think in addition to harmonica, the other really important thing, excluding Andy's vocals, which are the most important thing is the piano.
0: Cause okay.
2: there's
1: so much electronic noise between the drones. And, and the guitars and, and just the, the static and everything else that, that piano cuts through in such an exceptional way. You yeah. needed this sort of analog anchor kind of smack in the middle of it.
2: Uh, and, okay. and yeah.
1: So Davis came back with pure synthesizers and I went, you know, what? can you take this one, make that uh, just a piano? Oh. And he went, okay. And just send it right back. And, and wow. Davis is awesome. Like, right, can you do this? Like by the next day or we got something else back.
2: Wow! And then
1: Andy was Andy just sent us the thing he was going to do. I forget. It. I'm, I'm trying to remember if he sent us a written version of it. Maybe not. I think he just sent the, no. He just sent the recording. And as soon as we heard it, we were like, "Oh, that's incredible!" It is. Like, it, it, it's the way he wove that whole story of the cosmonauts. And the, the Russian dogs in space. Yeah. And, and looking and at the stars and the county heartbeats. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And, and so it, it was wonderful science fiction, weird tale, woven over something out of the Repo Man soundtrack, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and we just loved it. And the only, like, again, the only thing I did was there was like a few phrases here and there where I cut a line or two where it was like, yeah, you don't need that. And also it it sort of intrudes on where then the keyboard comes in or something else or the drones come in. So if we just shorten that, it's good. And and send it back to everybody. Everybody's happy. It goes in. And then that layering process, which is something I don't get with the other bands because we're, we're kind of recording in the traditional way. Yeah. Adds a whole different thing. And it's, it's been a massive learning experience of like, ah, okay. Think in simpler parts that can be layered. Right, And I don't know if that's ever, I'm ever going to go back to the other bands and use that, if this is really just going to be for this project and that's it. But it's, it's been awesome. And one thing I have noticed is my, the stuff I have been writing for the other bands seems to be more distinct and clear-headed. Oh, really? Which is an odd twist.
2: I wanted to ask if, if this whole project has changed the way you approached writing for the other bands
1: it has and especially because you know i kept writing you know especially for return black i kept writing stuff you know there have been some things i've written for end of hope yeah um where i suddenly found that the ideas were coming faster but i was also editing you know editing them down much quicker and editing them better but i was also making choices in terms of how how it should all flow in in, in a better way okay and again i think that that process would swarm of flies where you're getting so much creative output from so many different people and they also can't hear what the other members are giving.
2: That's that's the part that I love. That's that the fact that you're getting stuff that's so cohesive from so many different points and it all right. works.
1: It's everybody's different point of view on the song.
2: But it makes with, it sound with, so much different from anything else that you've been working on from, from what oh, yeah, I've heard.
1: Yeah. And I'm trying to think of uh, I'm trying to think of like a, another sort of creative equivalent to it, but it, it's kind of like do it's kind of like doing collage art in a way where, you know, again, it's in the case of the jaunt, it's Eric and Andy's perception of my simple three layers I sent to them, right. plus Davis's perception of those layers, and then me going. That kind of works. This kind of works. This kind of works. Let's slot these in together, see how it sounds, send it back to everybody and then go from there. And then even Eric going, I think there should be a harmonica here. <laughs> okay, go for it. Like, like, go ahead and do it. And yeah. so it's really fascinating. It's something that I think only at this time could it have uh, probably have pulled it together.
2: Oh, yeah. Would...
1: Or, or, would it, or would have even thought about it? Because, again, it, you know, pre-pandemic, my bands are up and running. We're, we're firing on all cylinders. We we have a way of working that is really good for us. And so yeah. it's getting in the rehearsal room, me bringing in songs. We hash out those songs and we keep moving. Whereas now there's this sudden different dynamic of thinking about a song, having a general sense of where I want it to go, but not purposefully not completing it. Right. And, and leaving it, leaving only part of the canvas kind of painted in a way.
2: Yeah, exactly. I mean, and at that, before the pandemic, I mean, you already had two bands. You didn't need a third. So, you know. right. <laughs> And it Right. There, and it also gives you, like you're saying, the, the room, a band like Swarm of Flies where people are coming in and out, the, the cast is always changing. It gives you the opportunity to play in a, in a completely different, a completely different style that's so different from the other two bands.
1: Absolutely. the other thing, it, it's a it's a learning thing for me, too. You know, I, as I said, I started late. So as a guitar player, I've been lucky enough where um, I took lessons from a guy named Chris Haskett, who played in the Rollins band. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and became a good friend. And Chris was an incredible teacher. And then I took lessons from Bob Balch, who plays in Manchu. Yeah. Um, And so I've always been the type of person where I watch somebody and I I learn a lot and I try to absorb it and, and, and sort of spit it out in my own way. Okay. And so especially not having, not being able to go out and play shows and seeing what other bands are doing or to, or to see my friends who are really good and see how they do it and, and keep picking up stuff from them because like even my friends who were just singers I watched them because I'm not really a singer I'm a guitar player but in Turn of Black I had to I had to learn my own way into being a frontman and right. the way I did that was watching Eric uh, from Thunderbird Divine who's a great frontman or watching Earl from Shadow Witch who's a great frontman and kind of seeing what do they do and how does that work for a crowd and all that so you learn by doing so in right. this sense watching how earl structures his three vocal parts on something yeah what a little lesson that is yeah or 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 how eric's brain works in terms of all those disparate like i'm a i'm a kind of meat and potatoes guitar player you know i'm i'm pretty much like there's the riff and there's a solo and there's some layering right eric is these these disparate ideas pulled together and and so it's if you listen to Thunderbird divine albums there's a lot of layers in there there's a lot going on because eric's an endless source of creative energy so learning from him on how he does that learning learning even from my drummer dave richmond on like how he played that beat on mine all along it's phenomenal from the first opening little fill yeah through the whole way through it has so much groove to it and just thinking about how he did that and like how many drummers wouldn't it's not that it's like technically awesome it's just so locked in a perfect place
2: right right
1: and so it's just a great learning opportunity for me to drag in all these different people and like i don't don't want to give out names yet but like some of the other folks i'm going to have playing on some of the songs coming up are again like folks like oh yeah i want to get them i want to get them doing something on there because i want to see what they'll do yeah and part of it's like it's a bit like a, like a free throw contest, right? You know, or, or like, you know, <laughs> cause it's, it's a bit like how, you know, you shoot from here and then the other person's going to stand back a little farther and shoot from there. And so and yeah. you don't know. <laughs> and so if you, if you've got somebody who's a much better guitar player and you go, okay, see what you can do with this. And they come back with something you're like, Wow, yeah. really <laughs> it's, it's a great way to learn. Like I'm, I'm the eternal student. Yeah. So I'm, I'm half the reason I'm doing this is it's gonna, you know, I'm gonna learn a lot. I'm learning a lot more about songwriting. I'm gonna learn from these people who I think are kind of masters. Yeah. What they do. And maybe in that process, we also make some stuff that is really unique. And For sure. Fun.
2: I mean, I, the two songs are fantastic. And you said you've got more in the works. Is, is there going to be a, a Swarm or collection? Or, or is it just going to be once a song is done, you're putting it out?
1: That was that was another thing where I'm always trying to keep up on technology. And, and we always have discussions, especially in the, the, you know, the two music communities I'm in, you know, the hard, punk hardcore community and the Stoner Doom community about... Where is everything going? Right. Uh, and this is this was even before COVID. Where in the age of Spotify, you know, uh, and and streaming music, it's getting harder and harder for bands. And it's not that those things don't have their value. It's just that if you can't go out and play shows and sell T-shirts and or and get vinyl out uh, and get people, you know, liking you enough to, to buy that vinyl, yeah, um, or or CDs or whatever it is you know, you're not going to have income coming in that can then pay for recording more albums and doing other things and you have to pay out of pocket to do it. Right. Um, so the model has really changed. And part of the problem is that everybody's still trying to do it the same way they always used to do it. Right. Oh yeah. So that idea of like, yep, you amass a bunch of songs, you then put out an album. It's not that that's not still the way to do it. It's just that, people people almost don't listen in that way anymore.
2: Yeah. It's exactly I've had this conversation with a lot of people on this show is that it, the art of listening to an album from beginning to yeah. end is
1: completely lost. Spotify devalued music quite heavily, not in the way people talk about and that people don't pay for it. Right. It's more in that albums were completely thrown out the window and mood became the predominant thing. And, and if you notice, all their yeah. editorial playlists are constructed around mood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not even so much genre. And mood is their, if you look at their, their big playlists are all around mood and things like that. And that's what they try to push you into. And the reason is what they figured out is they've been able to make. And I don't know if you can lay the blame on on them because you could even go back to the iPod and say even the iPod is guilty of this is shoving music into the background and turning music into a passive activity that is the background to something else. Okay. Okay. Uh, I remember there was, there was a a jazz guy who I, I didn't like the whole book, but he, he had a book where he was arguing that jazz was great and innovative because other music was essentially armchair music. It was background music. So the pop music of, you know, the 40s and 50s was music that was, you know, meant to be heard in the background while other things were happening. And that okay. jazz required direct interaction and that you couldn't just have it in the background. I think he's kind of full of shit in that assessment. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, because there's plenty of jazz where I just put it on the background. I'm going, working, and, and, oh, yeah. and doing shit. Um <laughs> But to a certain extent, Spotify... Again, even going back to iPods, because the moment you had people, or even you want to go back even further, Discmans, the moment you had people running to music, not actively engaging, music is a in service to another activity. You okay. suddenly have music is shoved as a as a background to something else. You know. Yeah. Um,
2: okay, I can I can see what you're saying there.
1: A long a long slow slide. Yeah. Now, now you can point to a lot of examples. Well, that's not true because of this, this, and this. But what Spotify has really done is sped up the process to where most of the time people are listening to something they're not even sure of the band they're not even sure of the, the song it's just a few of things sort of coming through
2: yeah I, guess I see what you say. it's something almost to just get your mind off of what you're actually doing you're not concentrating on either like at my job you know I, I sit down oh, yeah. at a desk and I, I put on either music or a podcast. Now if it's a podcast, it's a little easier for me to concentrate on it because it's spoken word. And right. that's a little, that rings through a little bit more than singing and, and music. But at that point I, I realized I'm not really paying hundred percent attention to either one of the things that I'm doing.
1: Yeah. And I, I think what, what happened is in that process of what we thought was a good thing, which was you can have now music anywhere. And you could have all the, all the library of music at your fingertips. And everybody was like, Whoa, that's amazing. And then what you realized was it cheapened the value of every single individual thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that then it, it suddenly became, ah, I got this playlist. I'm going to listen to that while I'm working. And then how many times do you actually, unless you really hear something that drags you out of it, you, you let five, six songs go by. Without even knowing what you just heard.
2: Oh yeah, exactly.
1: You know, and so I think in in with all this happening, while you still have good things like Bandcamp, and your Bandcamp's been like a savior for oh, a lot of I bands. You know, band Eternal camp, right? Black, our entire fan base is built off being able to use you know being being able to play shows and, and meet new people at shows and play festivals, but also a lot of. Bandcamp and people finding us on Bandcamp and yeah. the way Bandcamp works in terms of recommending things to people that's helped really build the audience for us there. Oh yeah. Um bad. But Bandcamp is is great for like vinyl and shirts and all the other stuff. I don't know how much streaming is, is happening on Bandcamp. Yeah. And while I'd love to be optimistic that Bandcamp's gonna win the day out, you know. <laughs> You know, it's hard not to look at it and go, yeah, it's just the way people interact with music has changed. And so albums, you know, again, doesn't mean I'm not, we're not still going to do eternal black albums. Doesn't mean we're not still going to do end of hope albums. That's still the way we're going to approach it. But I'm like, Hey, this is something new. Yeah. Let's treat some more flies of like, the other thing is I always have this bent of like, man, this is taking too long. And it's my East coast upbringing. It. It's like, <laughs> take taking too long to get this album done. It's taking too long to get this done where I'm like, why don't we just put the songs out when you're done? Like yeah, no ramp up, no nothing. Let's just, when the song is done, let's put the fucker out and I'll, you know, work hard to do some, some press around it Yeah, and then move on to the next one and then do the next one again. And then maybe over time we'll build some mass. My hope is that, we can do it in a way where there's no boundaries to what we do, which I, I, you've heard the first two songs. I think we've done a pretty good job of yeah c- covering a wide of territory. <laughs> so that way people understand the project's not going to be, here's eight songs that sound exactly the same. Right. That everything's going to be different. And it's great. Like there are bands that my entire love of them is built on singles, like The Helicopters. Okay. Yeah. Where they would basically keep putting out singles until they had enough to do an album then put it out. And, you know, that's that's going back to the James Brown model. it's yes. Going back, you know, the J- John Lee Hooker model. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I thought of it as like, hey, this is we've actually gone backwards to the days of Saint.
2: I yeah, again, that's another conversation I had recently with somebody else is that we're, we've we're actually while we think we're progressing, we're actually going back to the the, the, the model of the 50s and the 60s.
1: Oh, yeah. And, and Spotify and all their communications to artists talk about singles and submitting songs and, get, and getting songs on play, they do not wow. talk about albums once. No. Any well, they don't want they, that. Yeah, well, no, because, again, you can't slot albums in a playlist. Exactly. And Spotify's algorithms benefit from tons of songs queued in a playlist, especially the mood play, playlist. So they don't want albums. They don't want to promote albums unless it's somebody really, really big.
2: Exactly. And I think they did put out something... To the artist that said, "If you want to make money on Spotify, just make more music."
1: Well, yeah, he's a dipshit.
3: Yeah, (laughs) he he
1: came out and he said, he came out and basically said, "Well, it's these morons who think they can just keep waiting four years to make an album." Yeah, and and of course, everybody went after him like they should have because it was a stupid ass thing to say. Absolutely. He's also saying it from the vantage point of what he sees working for Spotify and what they're trying to drive people to. Yep. So again. I like making albums. You know, when you compliment me on the Eternal Black album, that means a lot to me because I busted my ass to make sure the flow of that album, even the flow of those two songs together. Yeah. Like that was really important to me and I put a lot of thought into into how that would go.
2: Well, it it shows for sure.
1: Yeah, so but with Solar Flies, I'm like Okay, this is all new. Like, strip away all the things I would have done in the other bands, and okay, all right, let's put the songs out when they're ready to go. Maybe somebody comes along and says, hey, we think this is cool, we want to do an album. I'll say, great, as soon as I have 10 songs, I'll give it to you, and we'll go or maybe do you guys want to do seven inches which I would would love that
2: would be cool that would be
1: cool like that I would love to do seven inches for you know like to do the tunes together back to back because again I have so many James Brown singles yeah you know that are like you know like I love I have the escapism part one part two yep Yep. And so it's great. It's like it fades out side one comes right back in on the groove and you're like, ah, it's so great. And so it's like, yeah, I, and again, the other thing is with these songs, like I'm not writing epics, I'm not doing eight or 11 minute songs. Like I'm, I'm trying to do a bit of song craft of, you should be able to get the idea across in under five minutes
2: yeah uh, that and it's, it's fantastic it keeps it nice and tight yeah yeah when uh, when do you think there might be the uh third swarm of flies track coming out
1: uh there'll probably be two right on the heels i'm trying to do one a month oh cool uh so technically i'm a little late <laughs> <laughs> uh so but you know that has to do with again there's a lot of a lot of moving parts a lot of a lot of folks involved but yeah there there's two that are close to being done and my goal is to keep doing them one a month through the end of the year and then if we have a vaccine maybe this goes by the wayside if we don't and and the winter is is looking like we're stuck in pandemic hell I'm going to keep making music and, and I'm going to keep reaching out to folks and, and seeing who else I can drag into it.
2: Oh man. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing that. So where can everybody find swarm of flies? How can they keep in touch with the band of follow what you're doing either with swarm of flies, with eternal black,
1: with End of Hope? I mean, Bandcamp for everything is usually the best place. So swarm of flies. Bandcamp.com. Eternal Black is eternalblack.bandcamp.com, and End of Hope is endofhope.bandcamp.com. We're also on, you know, everything's on Facebook, okay? uh, Instagram as well, uh, except for Swarmflies, we don't have an Instagram account because we're not touring, right? It's not not that type of band, so uh, I just have my account on Instagram. But um,
2: okay. Yeah. Well, I've wanted to thank. I've kept you for about an hour at this point. I want to thank you so much for spending this, <laughs> all this time with me, man. It's been blast learning how these this stuff comes together. is just, it was fascinating.
1: Thanks, Mark. I, I can't thank you enough, man. I really appreciate it. Turkey,
3: nineteen fifty-eight. I've got headphones on and a counter in my hand. See sí. sí. Back in '51, Howard Hawks had watched the skies, but it's our job to listen to them. It was fitting in a way, it 250 miles east and 12,000 years before, men then it raised stones to mark the star's path. Before ceramics, before crops, before houses, nomads had raised monoliths in their honor, and now now, 12,000 years later, we were listening to the first men to die among them. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.